Welcome to Sabbath School Study Hour, and we want to welcome you. I'm Pastor Alden Ho, and I have an offer for you. It's tips on resisting temptation. And if you would like to receive this, it's very simple. All you have to do is call 1-866-788-3966. And you're going to ask for the offer 708. If you're in the U.S., you can also text SH070 to the number 40544. If you happen to be online, you can request this if you go to study.aftv.org forward slash SH070. And we can only mail this to those of you who are in North America or in the U.S. territory. So once again, tips for resisting temptation. We'll bring this to you at the end of the program. So right now, as we begin our topic Let's bow our heads and ask the Lord to be with us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we can come together to be able to study this important topic for us to be able to understand how we are to live in these last days. I ask and pray that you would guide and direct not only my speaking, but be with the listener as well. Convict us of what we hear so that we too may be living righteously in these last days. For we ask and pray in Jesus' name, amen. As we begin our lesson today, the topic once again is wisdom for righteous living. And we want to take a look at it. For the Sabbath afternoon part of it, we're going to look at this particular story that happens many, many years ago with the Han Dynasty that ruled through China from the year 206 BC to 220 AD. It was the second imperial dynasty of China. This particular dynasty promoted Confucianism as the state religion. Not only that, but it also was involved in opening the Silk Road trade route to Europe, which was a very important business venture for China as well. During this time period, there lived a politician who was named Yang Zheng. And this man was known for a very, very upright character. After Yang Zhang was promoted to the provincial governor, one of his earliest patrons by the name of Wang Mi came to visit him. It was an unexpected visit. And as they talked over old times, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, um, Wang Mi produced this very large golden cup. And when he produced this cup, he presented it to um, Yang Zheng. But there was a problem. You see, Yang Zheng refused to accept it. But Wang Mi persisted, saying, look, there is no one here tonight except you and me. So no one will know. To this, Yang Zheng responded, you may say that nobody will know, but... That is not true. Heaven will know, and you and I will know as well. Well, as a result of this, Wang Mi was quite ashamed of what he was trying to do, and he backed down. 
Subsequently, Yang Jing, his integrity won him increased recognition. And he arose to a very high post in the central government. You see, what we find is human nature is very weak. And we tend to yield to temptation when we think nobody is watching us. In fact, if there was no police force, many people would not hesitate to steal. But if you're watching the news of late, there's a lot of not so good stuff on the news. But the news is very apparent because it brings out the fact that even with police around, there are people that are still boldly stealing and they're going into stores and stealing outrightly and just walking along. This is not to say that when we do something bad, we feel no need for compunction at all. Just as this man could be weak, a man today could be also prone to yield to temptation. But even if nobody witnesses our sins and not a soul knows of them, we can't hide the truth from the eyes of our own conscience. In the end, what is important is not that other people know, but that we ourselves know as well. We ask the question, what is temptation? Seduction to evil, solicitation to wrong, it stands distinguished from trial thus. Trial, tests, seeks to discover the man's moral qualities or character. But temptation persuades to evil, deludes that it might ruin. The one means to undeceive, the other to deceive. The one aims at man's good, making him conscious of his true moral self, but the other at his evil, leading him more or less to unconsciously into sin. God tries and Satan tempts. This is a quote from Fairbain in the book, The Words and Works of Christ. The lesson brings out a really important point here that I would bring to your attention. It says, if God's children heed God's instruction and admonishment, their faith will be purified and their trust in the Lord strengthened. We also find that the wisdom for righteous living is gained through the dynamics of life with God amid temptations and challenges. Thus, what we find here, that the prayer that God would teach us is that we should number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What does this exactly mean? Well, we're going to dive into this in Monday's lesson. But this reflects an ongoing commitment to walk in the faithfulness to the Lord. Sunday, in this Sunday's lesson, the topic or the title for this lesson is Your Word Have I Hid in My Heart. Let's look at Psalms 119. In Psalms 119, we find the following words are said, Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of God. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed. When I look into all your commandments, I will praise you with uprightness of heart. 
When I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. And then we find the following. And this is very much for young people because David's talking here and he asked the question, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to not his way, but your word. With my whole heart, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. This is the problem that we have in the world today because many will read the words of God. And as they read the words of God, sometimes it doesn't really settle with us and we tend to venture away. Conviction comes very slow to some of our hearts. And as a result of that, we tend to wander from God's commandments. John writes in John 14, 15, and he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But sometimes that means our love for Jesus is also very weak, very faint. In verse 11, it says, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. But here is the question that we come to. What if we have not hidden God's word in our heart? What if we have only a thought of it? Then what? This is why verse 11 is very important for us to really fathom, to grasp and to be convicted of. Your word have I hidden in my heart. So the opposite of that would be true. If your word is not hidden in my heart, then I will sin against you. But going back to the verse, if your word is hidden in my heart, if I am convicted of that within my heart, then I would not sin against you. Verse 12 tells us, Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. In order to be teachable, one must have that spirit that is bending, that is willing and apt to follow God's way. David writes and he says, with my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. What we find here, based on what we read in this particular chapter, is that keeping God's law is by no means a legalistic observance of rules, but life in an intimate relationship with God, a life full of blessings. And this is the reason why it's so important for us to hide the word of God in our heart. And by doing so, there is a blessing for the one who is willing and able to do that. However, sometimes we find that the life of the righteous person is also not without temptation. Sometimes the righteous can be tempted by the very cunning nature of sin. The Bible tells us the following, and it de depicts a daily life of faith as a pilgrimage. This pilgrimage is as a walk with God on this path, and the path is called the path of righteousness. Notice what Psalms 119 says again here. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. That's Psalms 119 verse 1. The life of faith is maintained by walking in the law of God. Now, walking does not mean that we're running. 
Walking means that we are enjoying the journey that God has placed before us. It's on this walkway that is called the path of righteousness. And as we walk on this pathway, we pick up new things as we journey along. Now, if we're not convicted of it, we have to basically carry this load that we know we're supposed to be following. We know that we're supposed to be obeying, but we just kind of throw it in our backpack and think, no, when, when the time comes, I'll obey it. And this becomes a burden for us. But the law is not supposed to be burdensome for us. It is supposed to be a delight for us to be able to follow. We are also told that blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. Why? They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. So we also find here that when we walk with the Lord in the light of the, his countenance, then things become very easy for us along the way. There are by no means two different walks. There are, there's walking in the light of his countenance and equally walking in the law of the Lord. Both of these involve seeking God with the whole heart. You can't go at it with a heart that's not totally with it. Amos 3.3 tells us, can two walk together unless they agree? You can't have a divided walk. You can't actually walk with God on one hand and try to be like the world on the other hand. It actually doesn't work that way. It's one or the other. Notice the following words that David brings out in Psalms 1. He talks about the word undefiled. Well, that could be very similar to another word, which is we find also the term righteous living. So we have undefiled, we have righteous living. And along with righteous living, we are also to present when, when the sacrifices were going on, the lamb that was brought was supposed to be a lamb that was unblemished, a lamb without spot, a lamb without stain. It was supposed to be a lamb that was perfect because when it was perfect, then it could be presented as a sacrificial offering. This last year, 2023, rolled over very, very quickly. We're now already into 2024. As we're recording it right now, it's actually 2023, but you're seeing this in 2024. Time is very quickly flying by for each and every one of us. This verse contains the secret. I'm giving you a hint. It contains the secret of true Christian living. A mere knowledge of the word will not keep us from sin. But when the word of God is treasured up in the heart, all of a sudden we have this weapon to which we can use to meet and conquer the wily flow. Now, when we look at the Bible and the things that God is bringing to our attention, I want to point out to you what we find in the spirit of prophecy here. And the spirit of prophecy tells us, but while God can be just and yet justify the sinner through the merits of Christ, no man can cover his soul with the garments of Christ's righteousness while practicing known sins or neglecting known duties. In other words, you can't have both. You can't 
have the way of the world and the way of righteousness. You have to be able to make a decision. Now, this tells us that while practicing known sins, we have to make and come to the Lord and ask the Lord to forgive us of our trespassing. We have to ask the Lord that he would cleanse us of our ways. This is why we've been given grace so that we can go on. We will make mistakes, but the Lord is trying to lead us a certain way, but we cannot neglect to follow what this means. That means if we continue in sin, would heaven be a place for us today? I would say no, not at all. We can't be continuing the same sin over and over and over. We're told here, God requires the entire surrender of the heart before justification can take place in and, and in an order for man to retain justification, there must be continual obedience through active living faith by works that works by love and purifies the soul. This is from Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 366. We're also told here in the, my, one of my favorite devotional books, Maranatha, if you want a book that will change you, read the book Maranatha. The following is said, but while the followers of Christ have sinned, they have not given themselves to the control of evil. Now there's a difference here. Because when you've given yourself to the control of evil, you are not making these decisions yourself. It's almost like the devil is running the steering wheel and he's taking control over everything. But we may sin occasionally here with this. But the main thing to remember is this. They have put away their sins and have sought the Lord in humility and contrition. And the divine advocate pleads in their behalf. I want to remind you that we have an advocate in the most holy place, and that's Jesus Christ. He goes before us, and we have to understand the time frame we're living. We'll hop on that, I believe, in Wednesday's lesson here. But let's continue on. All who will can be overcomers. Let us strive earnestly to reach the standard set before us. What standard is this? The standard that Christ has said that we should be holy, a holy people, a royal priesthood. Christ knows our weakness and to have him, we can go daily for his help. He would empty heaven of all the angels if one repentant sinner really needed the help. That's at your bidding. That's at your calling. But you've got to want this. It said it is not necessary for us to gain strength a month ahead. We are to conquer from day to day. And this is our daily challenge. God is not asking us to just live a whole life. He's asking us just one day at a time to live holy lives for him. When we move to Monday's lesson, we find the title, Teach Us to Number Our Days. As I said earlier, time is just flying. We're in the year 2024 right now. Life is filled with many opportunities. But the big question is, what are you going to do with all these opportunities? Do we let them slip by? Do we say, well, maybe I'll catch it next time? 
There is always another day, some might say, or do we seize the opportunity we may not have as much time as we really think. Why is that? Well, when we find this verse to teach us to number our days, let's look at Psalms 90, starting in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man to destruction and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood. They are like asleep. In the morning, they are like grass, which grows up. In the morning, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it is cut down and withers. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath, we are terrified. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. You know, some people think that these secret sins that we do, nobody knows. Nobody has any idea of these secret sins. But there's a day coming if we do not repent of these sins that these secret sins that only we ourselves know, the whole world will know. The whole world will be able to understand why it is that we are not in heaven. It is during this millennium that the books will be open and everyone's record will be readable for the entire world's population, past, present, and future to that point. Verse 9 says, For all our days have passed away in your wrath. We finish our years with a sigh. The days of our lives are 70 years. And if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? <laughs> well, wasn't God angry when the flood came about? Because all of a sudden, when the flood came about, God's wrath was boiling up a little bit. And the waters of the great deep came up and everything happened at that point. So verse 12 tells us, so teach us, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's focus on that verse 12, where it says, Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Only God has the ability to see the end from the beginning. And we should pray for grace to act as if we saw the end. We have no idea how long we may live. We have no idea how long our life will last. I remember when I graduated from college, I thought I have my whole life in front of me. A week later, I got married and I still had my whole life in front of me. But then just a few months after that, I found myself in a plane that crashed into a lake, very quickly sinking down to the bottom of the lake. And I thought right then and there, my life was coming to an end. How long were my days? <laughs> Only a mere seconds at that point. 
We can number our days, but we don't know how many days we have. God knows how many days. He knows the number of hairs on our head. But what this is trying to say to us is we don't know about the future. We only know about the past. The past, all you can do is ask for forgiveness for the past. You can't change the past. God gives us the here and now. And it's wrapped up in this wonderful little box called the present. And this is what God does. He gives us the present and he says, live for today. Trust me today and then do the same thing tomorrow. Don't worry about the future because future is still a mystery. But if you follow God today and you live for God today and you do the same thing tomorrow and you do the same thing the next day, you will find that you would have lived your entire life for God and not for yourself. In John Gill's exposition of the Bible commentary on this particular verse, on Psalms chapter 90, verse 12, it means not merely to count them, count our days, how many they are in a very mathematical way. There is no need of divine teaching for that, nor is there to be understood any calculation or any reckoning of time to come. No man, let me say that again, no one can count the number of days they have left to live. The number of days, the number of his days, the months, the years, but rather the meaning of this petition is that God would teach us to number our days as if the present one, he says, was the last. For we cannot boast about tomorrow. We know not but this day or the night. Our souls may be required of us, but the sense is that God would teach us seriously to meditate on and consider the shortness of our days. There's so many diseases in this world. I could walk out from here and get hit by a car. I could be in a terrible car accident. My days would definitely be cut short at that point. We're also in this exposition. He continues on. He says that they are but as a shadow and to observe how unprofitable we have spent them. We may put on we may put us upon redeeming time and also take notice of the goodness of God that follows us all our days, which may lead us to repentance and to engage us in the fear of God. We don't really understand how short life is. We don't really get the fact that life is going to continue moving on. What about us? What about our lives? I want to bring you a quotation here from the spirit of prophecy. As somebody who is also a photographer, I find this quotation very enlightening to me. This is not dealing with digital photography. This is not even dealing with film. This is dealing with the old type of photography where they used to put the emulsion onto a plate and then put it in the back of the camera. And this is what she writes. The life he has given us is a sacred responsibility and no moment of it is to be trifled with. 
for we shall have to meet it again in the record of the judgment. In the books of heaven, our lives are as accurately traced as in the picture on the plate of the photographer. Not only are we held accountable for what we have done, but what we have left undone. We are held account for our undeveloped characters, our unimproved opportunities. This is from the book that I may know him. This is one of Ellen White's devotional books. This is saying to me that I don't have time to waste. I can't be playing around and wasting this time. I remember growing up and my father always used to say to me that an idle mind is a devil's workshop. We can't idly let time pass by. We're responsible for it. And when we let this time pass by, we can't use the excuse, well, I was doing this, I was doing that. It was unprofitable time that was spent. And we are held account for this undeveloped character that we have because we've wasted the time and doing what we needlessly didn't have to do to begin with in the first place. There's another quotation from the same book that I may know him. It is love of selfish ease, love of pleasure, your self-esteem, your self-exaltation that prevents you from learning the precious life lessons in the school of Christ. It is the Christian's duty not to permit surroundings and circumstances to mold him, but to live above surroundings, fashioning his character according to the divine model. He is to be faithful in whatever place he is found. That means no matter where God has placed you, no matter what your work today, no matter what church you attend, you are to be a help to bring others to an understanding of Jesus. You are to utilize the time because it's not just by chance you are there. God ordained you to be where you are today. Make the best of it. Some of us are in very difficult circumstances. The place you're at, the workplace, the church, very challenging. But that's, consider that is character building. And we're told that in all things to praise God. Some may have it on easy street. They've been through much already. But there are others that still have not really had their character molded. They haven't had that character sanded and chiseled at. And God is doing everything that he can in these last days to mold us and fashion us. Some may be carrying a heavy load. This is too much. But remember, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians and tells us that God will never give us more than we can handle. He will always make a way of escape for us. But that's up to us whether we are willing to follow him or not. He is to do his duty with fidelity, with integrity, with honesty, improving the opportunities given him of God, making the most of his capabilities. Wherever you are, whatever time you are in, do all, whatever your hand finds to do, do it to the glory of God. In my photography work that I've done, I've heard this phrase and it stuck with me. Every picture I take is a signature of who I am. Every piece of work you do, anything that you are asked to do, do it to the best of your ability because it is a telling signature of who you are. We're also told here that if you are abiding in Christ, 
If you are learning in his school, you will not be rude, dishonest, or unfaithful. The cross of Christ cuts to the root of all unholy passions and practices. Whatever the nature of your work, you will carry the principles of Christ into your labor and identify yourself with the tasks given into your hands. Your interest will be one with that of your employer. If you are paid, now listen to this in case you tend to waste time at work. If you are paid for your time, you will realize that the work that, sorry, you will realize that the time for work is not your own, but belongs to the one who pays you for it. You are, if you are careless and extravagant, wasting materials, squandering time, failing to be painstaking and diligent, you are registered in the books of heaven as an unfaithful servant. Oh, did, did you get that? This is critical because this has nothing to do with church, but this has everything to do with your life. This has everything to do with your character. This has everything to do with your integrity. Whatever you do at work, do it to the best of your abilities. Don't squander the time. Don't squander the funds. Because if you do, you're registered in the books of heaven as an unfaithful servant. And I don't know about you, but I can't afford to have in the ledgers of heaven unfaithful servant next to my name. And I'm sure that is not what you want either. What you want is faithfulness, economy, caretaking, thoroughness. These things should characterize all of our work. We're told here from Luke 16, 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in that which is much. As we move to Tuesday's lesson, this is under the Lord's test. We're going to look at another chapter in the book of Psalms here, Psalms 95. Starting in verse 7, it says, For he is our God, and we are the, the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today. When? Tomorrow? Yesterday? No, no, no. Today, if you will hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness. Now, let me just pause here for a minute. This is dealing with the Israelites. This is dealing with Pharaoh whose heart was hardened. And God is saying to us today, if you will hear God's voice speaking to your heart, if you hear God's voice speaking to your ears, conviction comes to you. You need to follow that conviction. If you don't follow the conviction, all of a sudden we find, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and they tried me, though they saw my work. What happens as a result of that? The Bible tells us for 40 years, God says, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. What is being said of you in the books of heaven? If angels could talk right now, what, they would, what would they be saying of you? Would they say that you have always gone astray in your heart? That you have not really known God's ways? You have not chosen to follow God's ways? 
Some of us have been in the church for decades and decades, maybe even half a century. But we still do not know God's ways. We have not made decided steps in following him. We have not chosen to follow in the ways of his wisdom, but only in our ways. In Isaiah 55, we're told, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So that means our thoughts are nothing. Our ways are nothing. So it would do us well to follow God's ways and to follow his thoughts. God's saying here for 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said it is the people that go astray in their hearts. They do not know my ways. So what's the result? So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's for the Israelites. What would you think if it was thought of you? So God would say, you've wandered away. You've done what you wanted to. I've called you to follow the health message. I've called you to be a witness to me. I've called you to share the faith with other people that you've come in contact with. But yet you have failed to follow my ways. You shall not enter my rest. Friends, I don't know about you, but for me, I never want to hear that said of me. I would be so fearful if that was said of me. Because the whole purpose is I want to follow God's ways. I want to follow his rest. You see, we today are the last generation to walk the face of this earth. I do not believe that there's going to be another generation after this. We know in the Bible, a generation starts at 20 years old. It goes 40 years. And at the end of that generation, then it moves on to the next generation. But notice what we find, that God was actually very angry with this generation. Look at what happened in this story that we find at Meribah. In Meribah, this is the place where Israel was tested by God by challenging his faithfulness and power to provide for their needs. Psalms 81 makes an intriguing reversal and interprets the same event as the time when God tested Israel and by their disobedience and their lack of trust, the people failed God's test. It was a very, very sad time for them. Notice what's said here in Exodus chapter 20 of this particular generation. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that it is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor shall you serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who love me. No, no, no. To the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Why would they hate God? Because God was trying to get them to follow. God was trying to get them to obey his ways. But they didn't want to do that. They wanted to do it their way, their thoughts. And as a result of them, that, God says, this is to those who hate me. But he also ends off this particular commandment by saying, but showing mercy to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. In these last days, God is trying to do the same thing for 
us as he did for the Israelites. When the Israelites left Egypt, God brought them into the wilderness. They had forgotten God. They had forgotten his ways. They had forgotten the dietary rules. They had forgotten even how to keep the Sabbath. And during that time period for 40 years, God could have brought them straight into Canaan. That was plan A. But what happens that we find in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, the story is told where the Israelites wanted to have it their way. God says, look, I'm giving you the land. Go possess it. Go take it. But they had other thoughts. They said, no, 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 no. We, we want to send spies. So 12 spies were sent out into the land to spy out the country. And Moses tells them, okay, if you're going to go, then you go, but you give us a full report of the land, the cultivation, bring back some of the fruit, and let us know about these people that were there. And as a result of that, they came back and they gave a very bad report. But even in spite of that, God took care of them in the wilderness. For 40 years, he wandered around, let them wander in the wilderness until all that generation that had done evil was gone. We don't want to be like that. This generation of Israelites had to trust God for everything. They had to lean upon the Lord for not only food and water, but for shelter, for protection. That's to be us in this last generation as well. We can't be leaning on our own wisdom and our own understanding. We need to be leaning on the Lord for his direction for all these things that we have. You see, God requires prompt and unquestioning obedience of his law. But men are asleep or paralyzed by the deceptions of Satan who suggests excuses and subterfuges uh, and conquers their scruples, saying, as he said to Eve in the garden, you will not surely die. The results we find, disobedience not only hardens the heart and conscience of the guilty one, but it tends to corrupt the faith of others as well. That which looked very wrong to them at first gradually loses its appearance by being constantly before them until finally they question whether it is really sin and unconsciously fall into the same error. What we find is that if we fail to see sin in the same light that God does, then we fail, we fall into the same pit of sin, not realizing what sin is, but also what truth was. Notice what it says here. If you indulge stubbornness of heart and through pride and self-righteousness do not confess your faults, you will be left subject to Satan's temptations. If when the Lord reveals your error, you do not repent or make confession, his providence will bring you over the ground again and again. You will be left to make mistakes of a similar character. You will continue to lack wisdom and will call sin righteousness and righteousness sin. The multitude of deceptions that prevail in the last days will encircle you and you will change leaders and not know that you have done so. Brothers and sisters, 
All I can say to you is this, that would be very, very scary. When you, you all of a sudden start calling sin righteousness and righteousness sin, you are so confused that you can't even know what is truth and what is error. It's best for us to fall on our knees and repent and ask the Lord to help us to open our eyes that we may see. Because if we don't, time is ticking away very quickly and we are losing that time that we have that God has given us for the Holy Spirit to work in us and to do that good work. As we move into Wednesday's lesson, deceitfulness of the wicked way. This particular chapter in this day's lesson is Psalms 141. Before I pull up the slide here for this, I just want to say that Psalms 141 is a prayer of guidance and it's a prayer of protection. The psalmist, David, begins with an appeal of acceptance by the Lord. He begs that his speech may be kept pure and expresses his desire to be consensured by the righteous path than to receive deceitful flattery from the ungodly. Many times we hear the ungodly flattering us and you hear people talk this way, but it's like that's not really truthful talking. They're just saying this just to spout out words. And as a result of the flattery from the ungodly, and closes this particular chapter with a request that he may be rescued from the cruel schemes of his enemies. Let's look at and see what it says here. Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as an incense the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. I don't want them. Verse 5, let the righteous strike me. Let it be... It shall be a kindness and let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it for still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff and they hear my words for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave as one who plows and breaks up the earth. But my eyes are upon you, O God, the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares they have laid before me and from the traps of the works of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely. The lesson points out the following. It says, first, the heart is inclined toward evil. When the heart is inclined toward evil, then righteous has, righteousness has no more attraction. This is a very dangerous point. When we go to point number two, it says, second, it practices evil deeds. 
oh, when you're drawn to it and then you start practicing sin, that's a very dangerous thing. And when we get to number three, third, the heart eats of the delicacies of the wicked, namely accepts their evil practices as something desirable. We're told that the final vindication of God's children remain still in the future. This means that the believers are called to be patiently trusting God and to wait upon him. But if we fail to wait upon him, then we will fail altogether. And this is a very dangerous time for God's people because for us today, we know that the wheat and the tares will grow up together. But who does the separating? It's God that does the separating. Notice what we find here. As the storm approaches, a large class who have professed faith in the third angel's message, but have not been sanctified through obedience to the truth. Have mercy that we haven't been sanctified to the truth. What happens as a result? They abandon their positions and they join the ranks of the opposition. How could that be? Well, when you call sin righteousness and righteousness sin, of course this is going to happen because you're so confused. You don't know if this is truth or if this is error. And as a result, we join the ranks of the opposition thinking that this is truth. And we find that by uniting with the world and partaking of its spirit, they have come to view matters in nearly the same light. There's no difference. To us, we look at the world now as righteous. But truly, in God's eyes, the world is wicked. There has to be a change in us. And we find that when the test is brought, they are prepared to choose the easy, popular side. Men of talent and pleasing address who once rejoiced in the truth. Notice the past tense. Who once rejoiced in the truth. Employ their powers to deceive and mislead souls. They become the most bitter enemies of their former brethren. Whoa, listen. We are told here, that we have more to fear from within than from without. I don't know about you, but those are some scary words to me. That means our former brethren will be our most hated enemies. Think about that. Let that soak in for a minute because that's very scary. When Sabbath keepers are brought before the courts to answer for their faith, these apostates are the most efficient agents of Satan to misrepresent and accuse them. And by false reports and insinuations to stir up the rulers against them. These are the former people that are sitting next to us in the pews. These are the former people that are preaching from our pulpits. These are the former leaders in our churches, in our conferences, in our unions, in our divisions, in the general conference. Wow. This is a very scary time. And I don't want to be caught on the other end of this. When we look at Thursday's lesson, the blessings of righteous living, Psalms chapter one tells us, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. This tells me that 
the time is coming right now. How is it that we can live amidst a time period where everything is beginning to fall around us? When the winds of strife are blowing, when there is every wind of doctrine blowing around, how is it that we can survive? I give you the answer as we look into the life of one who made it in the same time period that we're living in right now, and that is Enoch. Notice what Patriarchs and Prophets says about him. Distressed by the increasing wickedness of the ungodly and fearing that their infidelity might lessen his reverence for God, Enoch avoided constant association with them and spent much time in solitude, giving himself to meditation and prayer. Thus he waited before the Lord, seeking a clearer knowledge of his will that he might perform it. To him, prayer was as the breath of the soul. He lived in the very atmosphere of heaven. My friends, I want to bring you to an understanding that we can also live in the very atmosphere of heaven. We're told that if we're in the cities, we need to be out of them. We need to be living in the country so that we can raise our children without any encumbrance at all, so that we can grow a garden because the problems of buying and selling will be a great one, so that we can worship God without anybody knowing what's going on and that we can witness to those around us. This is why we need to be out. And that time period has fast been gone. As we give final thoughts for this lesson for Friday, I want to bring you two quotes today, two quotes that will help you, I believe. Notice the words you in there because it is only you that can make this change. It says, if you will seek the Lord and be converted every day, if you will of your own spiritual choice be free and joyous in God, if with, glad, if with gladsome consent of heart, to his gracious call, you come wearing the yoke of Christ, the yoke of obedience and service, all your murmurings will be stilled. All your difficulties will be removed. All the perplexing problems that now confront you will be solved. This is taken from the Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, page 101. The last quote I want to leave you is this one. How can you do it? Do it just like Enoch did. If you will stand under the bloodstained banner of Prince Emmanuel, faithfully doing his service, you need never yield to temptation, for one stands by your side who is able to keep you from falling. What a blessing it is for us to be able to live for the Lord today. Once again, I give you this offer. This offer is tips for resisting temptation. You can call 1-866-788-3966. Ask for this offer, 708. If you're in the United States, you can also text SH070 to the number 40544. But if you're out of the United States or Canada, go to the website study.aftv.org forward slash SH070. Let's pray as we close. Our Father in heaven, as we come to you, we thank you for the rich blessings. Thank you for giving us a warning. Thank you for your grace and mercy towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Place a hedge about us. Help us to be obedient to your word. 
is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Don't forget to request today's life-changing free resource. Not only can you receive this free gift in the mail, you can download a digital copy straight to your computer or mobile device. To get your digital copy of today's free gift, simply text the keyword on your screen to 40544 or visit the web address shown on your screen. And be sure to select the digital download option on the request page. It's now easier than ever for you to study God's Word with amazing facts wherever and whenever you want. And most important, to share it with others.